Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Nineteen thirty-four, the Queen Mary, the largest ship to cross the oceans at that point, was launched. It was a British ocean liner, and uh, through four decades and a world war in which she transported troops, she served until she was retired as a floating hotel and museum in Long Beach, California. You can even today, and right now because of, of, of uh, repairs, it's not open, but uh, maybe you have been there to Long Beach and you've, you've visited the Queen Mary. But when the initial conversion took place from her being an active ocean liner to a hotel and a museum, when that took place, there was three massive smokestacks that came off the top of the ship. And they pulled those smokestacks off and they, and they took them over to the dock and they laid them down on the dock and each one of the three did the very same thing. They absolutely crumbled when they laid them down on, on the dock. And what they found is that through 40 years of service, the steel on the inside of these smokestacks <clears throat> had rusted away. There was just a very, very small little bit of steel left in each one of them. But every single year, almost every year that the Queen Mary had been in existence, those smokestacks had been painted. And so there were 30 plus coats of paint on the outside of these smokestacks. So when they wondered, okay, what held these things together? It was that paint, 30 layers of paint through all those years. So then when they laid those things down, the paint wouldn't hold those things up anymore and they absolutely crumbled. So now what you see on the Queen Mary is replacements. There are some self-proclaiming Christians in this world who look really, really good on the outside, but on the inside, they have all rusted up and they are not legit. It's what Jesus and what God's Word are going to show us today. Now, we're about halfway through the, the Sermon on the Mount, and, um, and, and we have a little ways to go still. We're going to be done by the summertime working through this, this sermon that Jesus preached. But if you remember in the beginning, we worked through each one of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are Jesus' way of showing how to find fulfillment and joy in life. And then Jesus moved on from there to tell his disciples that they are the salt of the earth and they are the what? Light of the world. Let's try that again. So there's salt of the earth and they are the light of the world. That's exactly right. Here's what it looks like for you to go and change the world and give glory to God in heaven. Here's what this looks like. And he shows us there in that, in that, in that passage. After that, Jesus explains why he came. He came to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of those prophecies. And this is where Jesus tells the disciples that unless their righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, then they have no chance of getting into heaven. So then Jesus goes into six ways that, that this righteousness that he gives to them, here's how it's evident. Um, and these are things that are not necessarily external. They are first internal, but then they bleed out from there to become external responses. So who a person is on the inside is going to affect what they do on the outside. And as Jesus' righteousness changes our hearts, the way that we respond outwardly is going gonna, is gonna to change from who we were before. So we're not going to be prone to anger. We're not going to be prone to lust, to lying, to retaliation. 
So now, today, we get to chapter 6. We start the first verse of chapter 6, and we see Jesus shift gears just a little bit here for a few moments. He's going to talk about these outward practices of righteousness. So what's on the outside should match what's on the inside, and what's on the inside should match what's on the outside. In other words, if I'm going to sum it up in a really simple way to say this, we shouldn't be hypocrites. He's going to talk about hypocrites now for a while. For the next two weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. Let's read verses 1 through 4 together, okay? Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach your word, we want to understand it. But not only, Father, do we want to understand it, Father, we want to apply it to our lives. And in order for that to happen, the Holy Spirit has got to come and work in an incredible way to show our minds what is truth, and then, Father, for the Spirit to enact in us a passion for living out that truth. Father, teach us not only what your word says, but how to apply it to our lives today. And Father, we pray that at the end of this time of, of us being in your word, of us being in this service, that you will have been glorified. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One time there was a zoo who, um, or that was, was noted for their great collection of animals. They had a whole bunch of animals and, and exotic animals all throughout, and, and it was some more zoo. But one day the gorilla died. This was a problem because they didn't have another gorilla to go in there, and they had a reputation to keep up. So this great zoo had a thought, had an idea. Let's hire somebody to put on a gorilla suit and be the gorilla. So they go and they find a man to be a gorilla. Well, this man had never been a gorilla before. So he gets in there with a gorilla suit on, and he's, yeah, at first he's kind of lumbering around a little bit, not really sure what he's supposed to be doing. Kind of takes him a little nap, laying down, gets in his cave, and you know how everybody does. They, they're looking for, oh, it's in the cave, yeah. That's what you do when you go to the zoo, right? You never see the animals. They're always hiding away. Well, then he gets a little bit brave, and he thinks, I'm going to climb up this tree that's over here next in my exhibit. And so he, like a gorilla, climbs up this tree. But the problem in doing so is he falls into the lion's exhibit. Now, this is a man in a gorilla suit in an exhibit with lions. What would you do if you were in that gorilla suit? I don't know about you, but I'd scream, right? I'd probably try to run. And that's exactly what this man did. He screams as loud as he can. He's running. He's trying to get out of this lion exhibit. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice he said, that says this. It says, you better be quiet or they're going to fire both of us. I believe that that zoo has its priorities messed up a little bit, doesn't they? Don't they? But you know what? Um, if you hear a major reason, maybe you've heard this from people, a major reason that people don't come to church oftentimes is that the church is full of hypocrites. 
right? They say they're one thing, but they're actually something else. People say that they're different, but apart from Sunday, their lives really just don't match up. And, and you know what? People who say that, they're right. There are hypocrites in the church. And in fact, there's been hypocrites in every single church ever since the beginning of the church. And it doesn't just stop there. It goes even back further to the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Cain was a hypocrite who, when his hypocrisy was revealed by God, he reacted by killing his brother. You move forward a little bit, and you got Absalom. Think about Absalom, David's son. He gave lip service to allegiance to his dad. He told his dad, I'm allegiant to you only. But what does he do? As soon as his dad's back is turned, he goes and he tries to overthrow the kingdom. You move a little bit, forward, a little bit further down in the Bible and you find Judas Iscariot. He was a hypocrite. He followed Jesus, the entirety of Jesus' earthly ministry, and then when it was most advantageous for him to do so, he turned tail and he betrayed Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a field. And you know what? Good for them for doing so. But they said that they gave all the profits to the church, but in reality they held part of it back. They lied to the church, and we know that God dealt very, very severely with them for that. They're actually killed for their hypocrisy, for lying to God. Y'all, hypocrites are everywhere. They're in all religions. Um, there, there, are, there are Catholics who say that they are staunch Catholics, but they don't keep up with the basic main tenets of Catholicism. You've got, um, you've got people who claim to be atheist, agnostic, Muslim, any other religion, but there's hypocrites in all of them. But here's a big, big issue. When it comes to Christianity, the biggest issue that I can think of here in this is that there is a change that should have, been, that should have taken place in a Christian's life, an internal change. All other religions are outwardly conforming to a set of standards, but listen, a Christian claims to have been redeemed through the person and work of Jesus. They claim to have been sanctified by repentance forgiven of their sins, completely changed from the inside out for the good of man and for the glory of God. So for that proclamation of the mouth that such a massive change has taken place, and then for a lifestyle that is completely different to actually happen doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because if you've really been affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is going to change you. God takes hypocrisy really, really seriously. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see a couple of times that he addresses um, his people who have this mask of hypocrisy. And by the way, the word um, hypocrite comes originally from the Greek in which there were these Greek plays and, and the actor would get up and instead of you seeing the actor's face, you would see a mask that the actor put on. And so the, the, the actor puts this mask on and then they, they carry out whatever it is, whatever character they're trying to, to play. So hypocrite comes from that idea. You say that you're one thing, but you're actually something different. But here's what God has to say in the book of Amos about hypocrites. He says, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your hearts, harps, I will not listen but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
In other words, you say that you love me. You say you're following me, but I know your heart, you're not. Isaiah chapter 1, we find similar language. What to me, God says, is the multitude of your sacrifices. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And he he ends this with this. When you spread out your hands, this, this... this lifting up your hands to me, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. See, God sees the heart. He knows what's on the heart of man. And the same thing is happening in both these passages where the people have been commanded, they've been shown what it, lo- what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And now all of a sudden, this, this time comes along in which, you know what? They say that they're doing that, but their heart's doing anything but. And God's had enough of them cheating on him with other gods. There's an Aesop's fable that tells of a wolf who wanted to have a sheep for his dinner. So he decides to disguise himself as a sheep. I don't know why I found these illustrations today on animals, right? I don't just realize that. Anyway, he disguises himself as a sheep and he follows the flock into the fold. And, and, um, and the wolf waits until the sheep are asleep so he can get him a good meal. But while he's waiting for the sheep to go to sleep, the shepherd decides he wants a meal of sheep. So he goes in and he finds the biggest, fattest sheep that he can find. And he goes and he butchers it, but he finds that that was actually a wolf in sheep's clothing. When that, what that shepherd did, what that shepherd did inadvertently to a wolf in sheep's clothing, God does intentionally. God hates and judges hypocrisy. So Jesus, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, he knows God's heart on the matter of hypocrisy. So that's why he says this in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The word there, beware, means to watch out. Pay attention to this. Avoid the person who practices their righteousness only in the public square. Now, the, the Pharisees and the scribes were famous for this, okay? They would get out and they would, they would make a big show of giving money and they would make a big show of praying and fasting and all of that. But then when they got into their private quarters, God knew what was on their heart. And it was something completely different from what was on the outside, what was being shown, now, the main point of this, of this whole passage is hypocrisy, but Jesus uses an example to show us what that hypocrisy can look like. And he first uses the example of giving. He says this, when you, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
First words there, when you give to the needy. I want you to notice something, okay? Notice that there is this assumption that you give, not if you give. When you give to the needy. You see, one of the basic marks of a Christian is that they give. Jesus and his disciples would, would have, as they traveled around, they had a money bag that they would have used to pay for their necessities. But, but also, when there was someone in need, they would give out of that money bag to the needy. We find that in John chapter 13, where Jesus does, he uses this bag in that way. You look ahead to the church when it began. The day of Pentecost comes, and then right afterwards, what happens? There's this explosion of Christianity all over. But a mark of this New Testament church is that they are giving to each other. They're sharing with each other as anyone has need. So it's not a matter of if you give, but when you give. So when you give, don't sound a trumpet. Don't look for fanfare for giving. Don't say, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at, look at how much I'm giving. In the last five and a half years of me being your pastor, I've, uh, I've had people before who, who come to me and, and maybe we're taking up a, a, a money, a money for a special project and, and they don't give anything towards it. And then a little bit later on, they say, oh, I was just waiting for you to come ask me for money before I gave towards that project. But that's an example of looking for praise for giving. It's hypocritical giving. Um, sometimes there are those who think that, um, that their giving should elevate them to a position of prominence, as if they should get a special consideration for the number of zeros that are behind the, the first digit. No. Here's what we find in Mark chapter 12, and this is Jesus. He's sitting down, and he's watching these people come and give, and, and it says this, he sat down opposite the treasury and watch the people putting money into the offering box. Now, I want to pause there and say this. This is nothing out of the ordinary for people in general to do in these days. Sitting opposite the treasury, the offering box. You see, people would come and they would sit and they would just come to see who gives and how much do they give. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, this widow, when she gave, she wasn't elevating, trying to elevate herself to a position of authority or prominence. But Jesus gives honor to this widow you see, the honor doesn't come in the amount given. The honor comes in the purity of the heart that gave. Once again, going back to that heart. How many of you, if it, um, maybe it's in Walmart, did you see one of those machines where you, you put the coins in and then it spits out paper money to you? Y'all seen those before? Um, whatever value of coins, you put your coins in there and then whatever value of coins you put in, it, it gives you that same value in, in paper money. Or maybe it charges you a fee or something, I don't know. I can remember one time I was in Walmart and, uh, and the unmistakable sound of money. You know what I'm talking about? Coins clanging together. The unmistakable sound of money. I, I turned around and there's this man who had brought in a five-gallon bucket of coin. And there's no way he could have carried that whole thing full of coins. So it was only about, about maybe halfway full. But he's taking this five-gallon bucket and he's dumping it into the coin machine. And there's this unmistakable sound of, of coins. I mean, you, can just, you know exactly what that sound is as soon as you hear it. 
And so then, you know, everybody, all their eyes are turned and they're, they're looking to see what is this guy doing? I look at all that money. Well, scholars tell us that in Jesus' day, people would take their money and they would make sure that it was in pennies rather than quarters. Because, you know, there's a whole lot more pennies for $10 than there are quarters for $10. They would take and put as many coins as they could so that it would make a lot of noise when they walked up to the offering box and put it in the offering box. And they'd, they'd pour that money into the box. And when people around heard all those pennies that were going into the box, then they would turn around and they'd look, and oftentimes they would even applaud the person pouring the money in. They pour the money in and probably looking around like, anybody seeing me? And there's an applause that comes afterwards. But then the widow, who has next to nothing in life, walks up and she gives. And she's the one that Jesus honors. As I was studying this passage in Matthew chapter 6 this week, there's something that I noticed. In the example that Jesus uses here, there's both hypocritical givers and there's genuine givers. And both the hypocritical giver and the genuine giver both receive reward. Look at this. As I read it, I want you to see if you can see what I saw, okay? Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know that your right, what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see that? Both the hypocritical giver receives the praise of, of uh, well, the hypocritical giver receives the praise of people, but the genuine giver receives the praise of the Father. That hypocritical giver receives that momentary praise. Look at this person. Look at what they're doing. But that doesn't last long at all. In fact, in order for you to get that again and get that high from it again, you've got to take some more money back. Make sure you take a lot so that they applaud really, really well. The genuine giver receives their reward from God. And listen, it's most often not a reward in that you're going to make a lot of money or you're going to have a lot of possessions. It's nothing like that. But here's what it is, and I love this. The reward is having our heavenly Father pleased with us. And I don't know about you, but I sure can't think of much in life that I would want beyond that. And he is pleased, not with the amount that I gave, but with the heart with which I gave it. He is pleased with what's on the inside. As the inside translates to the outside, and what's on the outside truly reflects what's on the inside. Listen, which one would you rather have? A momentary praise of people who can just as easily turn their back on you or the reward of the God of the universe being pleased with you. What Jesus is trying to show us is that it is all about the heart. And why try to fake what the heart doesn't back up? There's a, um, there's a, a quote by Paul David Tripp as he's writing about hypocrisy that says this. He says, here's the question you need to wrestle with. Is there some place or some way in my life where I'm a fake? Is there some place where to yourself or others you pretend to be something that you're not or where you boast about something that you didn't actually do? 
I think there are artifacts of fakery in all of our lives because there is a desire in all of our hearts to be more independently wise, righteous, and strong than we really are. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Praise God that, the, that his grace frees all of his children from their bondage to fakery. Why is this so? God's grace offers you what you did not earn and forgives you for the wrongs you actually did. Grace radically alters your identity and your hope. Your identity is not in what you have achieved or in what the people around you think of what you have achieved. No, as a result of grace, your identity is rooted in the achievements of another. Your hope is not based on how well you are doing, but on what Jesus has done for you. Grace invites you to be real and honest. Grace allows you to live free of false hope and the faux identity of human fakery once and for all and to rest in the honest and stable identity you have found in Jesus and his eternal work on your behalf. I think about the words, Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. There was nothing that I could do to save myself, therefore there's no reason for me to try to build myself up. I couldn't save myself, I can't sustain myself. So why try to be something that I'm not? May we all be Christians who, when people see and they interact with us, they get the real deal. That what's on the inside is seen on the outside, and that what we do on the outside truly reflects who we are on the inside. Next week when we come back together, we're going to continue talking about this idea of hypocrisy. What our prayer, genuine prayer and genuine fasting should look like. But I want you to reflect on these words that we've talked through today. Go back, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and just ask, Lord, is there any way in which I'm being fake? Let's pray. Father, you gave it all for us. The life of your son, Jesus was given so that we could have life. And yet so often we either say we are something when in reality the heart is completely different, or Lord, we try to be something that we're not really, and, and Lord, it just doesn't make sense. So Father, help us to take off the mask of hypocrisy, to genuinely follow Jesus, to be his disciple, nothing more, nothing less. Father, thank you for this challenge that we see here in your word today. And Father, I pray that our righteousness is not practiced in front of other people in order to be seen by them, but rather, Father, would we do what we do so that you are honored with us and pleased with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.